0: From lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com, this is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. In today's show, I'm sharing my thoughts on sharing your garden this summer, whether you're hosting a garden party, participating in an open garden day, or a garden tour. No matter the occasion, sharing your garden is a lovely, generous, and memorable gift to your guests. But the bigger question for you as the gardener and host is, how can you make the sharing of your garden, life-giving to you. Certainly, no one can enjoy an event when they are overtired, physically exhausted, high anxiety, or financially overspent. Today, I'm going to share with you some of my tips for enjoying the gift of sharing your garden with others. I'll talk about how you can make sure not to force needless perfection on yourself or your garden, and I'll share some tips, including my ideas, for some extra special little touches that can make a visit to your garden stand out among other gardens or events your guests will attend this summer. That's the topic of today's show. And it's all coming up. After the Garden News Roundup. But first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for spending this time with me this week. I know there are many options for podcasts out there, and I'm so honored that you're spending some time here listening to the Still Growing podcast. And I'm also so thankful to those of you who are sharing the show with your gardening friends and family, because that's how podcasts grow, primarily through word of mouth. So thank you for that. And if you're looking for a deeper connection on the subject of gardening, I'd love to connect with you by inviting you to join the Still Growing Community. It's a private Facebook group that I host for gardeners of all skill levels and locations. In fact, there are gardeners from all around the world in the group. And what I especially love is that it's not an overwhelmingly large group. It's pretty small. So if you're interested, It's just a nice little group for listeners of the show who share a passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. Plus... It's free and easy to join. So come on, hang out with us. Don't be shy. And even if you've been listening for a long time and have never joined the Still Growing community, it is so simple to be part of the group. So I'm going to walk you through it. All you have to do is go to Facebook and search for Still Growing Podcast Group and then click to join. Or another easy way you can find it is to go to my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A, and it's right in the main menu. It'll say Facebook group. You can click that, and it will take you right to the group and then just request to join. So if you're listening to this episode and you like what you hear, you should definitely join the group. Not only are there great giveaways for listeners, but in addition to sharing news and conversations about gardening, I'm planning some fun activities for listeners of the show, and they're all designed with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. I want to make sure I give a shout out to new members who joined the group this week. They are Kelly Patient, Samantha Rebman, Kathy Hermanson, Joe Croucher, Renee Ford, Jane Townsend Hubbard, Craig Thompson, Lynn Davis, Frosty Davis, Jeannie Skibiski, Lindsey Huber, Katherine Wallace, Tyrick Randolph, and Jen Miller. Welcome, you guys. And I also want to recognize the still growing listeners that make up my listener advisory board. This is a group of four to six listeners. From the listener community who volunteer to spend time with me each week talking to me about the show. And this current group is made up of Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener magazine. Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens and she's based out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was a guest of the show featured on episode 553, where we talked all about native plants. So if you're interested in incorporating more native plants into your landscape this summer, give that show a listen. One of the favorite aspects of the Still Growing Listener community for me is that it's made up of listeners of the show, but also past guests of the show. And I always envisioned right from the start that the Facebook group would be a place where you could continue the conversation. So if you hear a podcast with a guest and you are wanting to learn more, you can interact with that guest in the group. And there are a number of past guests of Still Growing who have joined the group, and they include Katie Dubow of the Garden Media Group. She's helpful. She was on the episode where we talked about garden trends. So she's a great resource for sharing garden trends and upcoming tips and ideas. Joel Karsten, the pioneer of straw bale gardens. Joanne vandenberg Olms of John Sheeper's Kitchen Garden Seeds. Marta McDowell, the author of All the President's Gardens, and Tara Nolan, the author of Raised Bed Revolution, just to name a few. So that's a wonderful benefit to joining the group, but you'll also receive quality content. Not only will you get all of the posts from the Garden News Roundup, which is the start of every show, you'll also get quality posts from other listeners in the community, In fact, Craig Thompson recently shared his visit to the Royal Horticultural Society Garden Rosemore in North Devon. The pictures from this visit are absolutely glorious, and it's so fun to see spring in gardens from around the world. So anyway, if you're not yet a member of the listener community on Facebook, I'd love to invite you to join for free just the next time you're in Facebook. Search up still growing podcast group and our group will pop right up and then just click to join and we'll admit you into the group. Well, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. These are just a handful of the curated posts that I've collected over the past week and they've all been shared for free in the Facebook group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, just head on over to the group. It's all been shared there. I always start the Garden News Roundup with a guest update. And this is a fabulous giveaway opportunity that was shared by Jenny Prince of American Meadows, who was just on last week's show, episode 566, Having Kids Help in the Garden. American Meadows and High Country Gardens are celebrating their love of plants this month by giving away a life-changing trip for two to one of our nation's botanic gardens. So you get to pick the garden, and then they supply the plane tickets for you and a lucky friend, plus a four-night hotel stay and spending money for food and extras. In addition, they're giving away $50 weekly prizes and gift certificates. Now, the contest ends April 30th, so just head over to BotanicGardenGetaway.com and enter to join. And then for listeners of the show, American Meadows is offering $10 off any order of $40 or more for listeners of Still Growing. All you need to do is use the coupon code STILLGROWING17 and take advantage of it. That offer expires May 31st, 2017. In sustainability this week, there was an article from gardeningknowhow.com that shared their list of top 10 plants for drought conditions. This was written by Bonnie Grant, and it includes plant specimens like catoniaster, juniper, and agave, to name just a few. In the continuing ed segment, there was this wonderful post called, What's the difference between oregano and marjoram? This was featured in thekitchen.com, and it was written by Kelly Foster. And Kelly points out that both of these look remarkably similar, and they're often confused for one another. They are both members of the mint family. But if you examine them closely, each one has a distinct smell and flavor that sets it apart. Oregano tends to be very pungent and spicy, while marjoram is floral and woodsy. Kelly points out that marjoram is actually a subspecies of oregano, and because of its light, subtle flavor, marjoram is best added at the end of cooking. Kelly shares a lot of wonderful little tips in this article, and if you'd love to grow herbs, and I certainly do, this would be a great article to familiarize yourself with the difference between oregano and marjoram. Dan Gill shared some great gardening tips in his garden column this week, including planting basil. Now, Beth Bilstrom, who had been on the show earlier last year, mentioned that she always starts her basil in old pie tins. And I thought that was a marvelous idea. So if you're starting basil indoors, give that a try. Gardenista shared a post called, Can This Garden Be Saved? My plants prefer to grow in the path. And Kendra Wilson wrote this article, and I love how she started it out. She said, plants don't take orders, despite centuries of trying. These days, a gardener is more like an art director planning effects. Enter the garden director who takes note of what plants want to do and creates an atmosphere in which free spirits can express themselves. So the whole article is flipping this notion on its head that we need to be more cognizant of plants and their behavior, their growing habits, instead of forcing plant species to do something they're just not going to do. In this post, Kendra gives the example of peonies. She says, thinking about where plants come from and how they are found growing in the wild sheds light on their potential for your garden. Peonies are accused of flowering for too short of time, just when everything else becomes interesting, unable to justify the space they take up. Growing them with other perennials and bulbs and grass will mean that their flowering is a bonus instead of a pressured moment. Happily, they don't need staking like this, and neither do the coneflowers and geraniums nearby. Kendra ends the article by pointing out that famous garden truism, right plant for the right place. So no matter how much you want plants to grow in a particular place, we need to choose plants adapted by nature to the conditions we have to offer. That's how they will do well. And it's not always in a flower bed or in the garden we have in mind. Finally, in continuing ed, BeWellHub.com shared a post called Burn Bay Leaves in the House and See What Happens After 10 Minutes. This article is All about the practice of smudging, a Native American tradition that uses the smoke of sacred herbs to purify a room. This ritual is similar to the act of burning incense. Why burn bay leaves? Bay leaves have been things of legend for millennia, whether its incontestable role in Greek and Roman folklore or its steady presence in Indian and Caribbean culture. And the article talks about how if you're feeling stressed or in a bad mood, simply burn a bay leaf or two in an aluminum baking tray in your room or office and leave for 10 minutes. Make sure you close the windows, keep the tray away from anything flammable, and make sure you're not burning it under a smoke detector. And it says, when you come back inside, the smoke of the herb will make your mind and muscles feel more relaxed and you'll find it easier to focus on the task at hand. In the how-to segment are three really great posts that I found. The first was from permaculturenews.org, and it talks about why to use swales and how to do it appropriately. Again, this is from the Permaculture Research Institute, a very reliable source. Great article on swales here. There was also a fun how-to on learn how to make a mosaic rock. This was a post shared out of Australia from the Mosaic Store. And it offers as inspiration this beautiful mosaic that was made by Mary Foley, where she put a mosaic heart on a rock. And it proved to be so popular that the technique is the topic of this post, how to mosaic. You can create fantastic garden art using this technique, which can include dragonflies, butterflies, frogs, geckos, and snails, just to name a few. And it's pretty straightforward. So I thought this was a great how-to. And then the final how-to is a throwback. And it takes advantage of the plant trend, how to make a macrame plant hanger. And I have vivid memories of sitting on the floor as a young girl, probably six to eight years old, macromaine. And I have a strong desire to try this again this summer. So I think I'm going to work on something, some project after my shoulder surgery is done. Maybe it can be part of my therapy. In the plant spotlight this week is one of my favorite spring plants, Bleeding Heart. This is a great post that was shared in The Guardian. It was written by Jane Perone, And it's just a nice summary of Bleeding Heart. In the news this past week were a number of very fun articles. The first was kind of the unsung heroes in the staging of floral arrangements, and that includes people who decorate worship spaces. So this was a piece that was shared about the St. John's Cathedral volunteers who prepare that church for Easter, and they did a wonderful job. That was a fun post to share on Easter Sunday. And then there was this staggeringly beautiful post that was shared by Heather Lomax. She had gone horse camping in the Carrizo Plains National Monument, and she brought her drone with her And she had it fly over the super bloom in California, and it just continues to amaze and marvel us. So you've got to check that video out. That was just something else. And I would say for a first drone video, it was a huge success. Makes me want to get a drone. Also in the news this week, the Washington Post shared something about Stonewall Jackson that most people don't know about. He loved to garden. This was a piece that was written by Linda Wheeler, and apparently after he married Mary Anna Morrison in 1857, the man who would become General Thomas Stonewall Jackson took up gardening. In fact, he was a little sentimental. He loved to grow flowers for his wife. And according to a wonderful account by Jackson scholar James Bud Robertson, Stonewall Jackson was a teacher of physics and artillery, but he also cultivated plants in a very orderly and scientific manner. In fact, his meticulous care paid off because he always had a bountiful supply of food for the family meals. This post shared many wonderful little tidbits about Jackson as a gardener. In fact, there's an excerpt that I thought I would share with you that was very sweet. A kitchen garden wasn't enough for Jackson. That same year, he bought an 18-acre farm about a mile from his house, and he grew wheat Corn and vegetables. When his wife, whom he called Anna, became ill the following spring, he took her to New York for treatment, and he wrote her long letters while she recuperated. His favorite subject, besides his concern for her health, was the state of the gardens. He wrote, I was mistaken about your large garden fruit being peaches. It turns out to be apricots, and I enclose one, which I found on the ground today. And just think, My little dove has a tree full of them. Jackson preferred to use your when referring to anything the two shared in life. And he was fond of calling Anna by sweet romantic names like his little dove. In another letter he wrote, Our potatoes are coming up and I shall send you a sample of a leaf. Your garden has been thirsting for water until last evening. Anyway, it's just a sweet little article about this side of the Civil War general. There was also a great post that was shared in The Guardian that was titled, Got a small garden? Then plan your planting vertically. The great thing about this post is it offers a lot of plant suggestions. And I also found the listener comments on this post to be super helpful. So don't forget to read listener comments when you're looking at some of these articles. The final piece in the news segment is about this very quiet street in East Vancouver. It's this stretch of Gravely Street. And every spring, people flock to this street to see the cherry blossoms bloom because there's cherry blossoms up and down the street. And they form this gorgeous canopy, as you can only imagine, during springtime when the cherry blossoms are in bloom. And the thing that I really wanted to share with listeners of Still Growing in the Facebook group is a link to an Instagram account that was created by one of the people who lives on the street. The account is called Cherry Blossom Madness, and you can see images of this gorgeous street in bloom, Gravely Street, in the spring. It's spectacular. It would be a great place to live. What a treat. In the Dream Guest segment this week is this wonderful story that was written by Edward Keenan out of the Toronto Star, and it's all about this gentleman named Larry Zakarko. He's a gentleman that lives in a row house, and he does not have much land in his backyard. It's approximately 8 feet by 15 feet, and even the writer of the article said, it doesn't look like much, but oh, the things that have been grown out of it. Larry says, I have grown, among other things, sugar, snow, and Lincoln peas, numerous varieties of beans, jalapeno, bell, devil's tongue peppers, carrots, broccoli, cauliflowers, Swiss chard, raspberry, and especially heirloom tomatoes. He's been growing these plants for decades using seed varieties that have been traded and preserved for as long as 100 years. Larry grows these plants and then saves the best and takes their seeds and dries them for the next year. Larry's an English and drama teacher at St. Basil's where he teaches kids. And in the first part of February, he works with his students at the school and teaches them about growing these plants. It's a project that he's been working on with students for 25 years. The school tries to get as many kids involved as possible. Special education students water the plants. English classes document their growth. And then the students transfer the plants, up to a 1,000 of them, into cups. He has the students look through the neighborhood and find someone they think who deserves these plants, and they write and explain the reasoning, and then they write a letter to the person they've chosen explaining why they're getting the plant on the May long weekend, and they give that person the plant and the letter, and this article was just absolutely heartwarming. Larry says there have been all kinds of reasons that students have given plants to people over the years. Sometimes a kid will say, I'm giving a plant to this person because I stole pears from their tree and I want to pay it back. Or they'll give a plant to their bus driver and say, you're always such a cheerful bus driver. One report came back from a girl from a Vietnamese family who gave her plant to a friendly single woman who lived next door. She was giving the woman the plant because she had the most beautiful garden in the neighborhood. And when she delivered the plant, the woman seemed taken aback and retreated into the house. The student was sure she'd somehow offended her. When the woman re-emerged, she said she'd moved three years earlier from Hong Kong, leaving her daughter behind temporarily. And she'd been growing the garden since moving to the house And she anticipated that her daughter would join her in Toronto, but her daughter had died, and no one had ever said anything to her about her garden before. And Larry said there was a bit of an emotional moment, and from then on, the woman and the girl's family became more than neighbors. They visited each other's houses like newly discovered relatives. Anyway, this article about Larry is very special. He's a wonderful gardener and, more importantly, a wonderful person. And I'd love to have him on the show. In Science This Week is an article from sciencealert.com that shares the story of a tree that kills birds. It's a genus of tree that's found in the tropical waters of the Indian and Pacific Oceans. And it has a very harmful method of distributing its seeds. It's known as the Pisonia tree. And the tree species produce long seeds that are coated with a thick mucus and small hooks. And the seeds stick to almost anything that brushes against them, including insects and many of the birds that land or nest in the tree. But what sets the Pisonia apart from other trees that use glue or prickles to hitch a ride is that these seeds pile up very quickly, especially if a bird falls or lands among the pods on the ground. In fact, those pods will accumulate and weigh down smaller birds, making it impossible for them to fly. Consequently, if the birds aren't picked off by a scavenger or a predator, most birds just die and decompose at the foot of a tree. It's very sad. Science Alert also shared this beautiful post about California's poppy super bloom. In fact, it's so epic, it can be seen from space. And the pictures... Compare the difference between last year's very dry season and this year's beautiful, abundant bloom of yellow poppies. The satellite images were taken by Planet Labs, a startup founded by three NASA engineers. And it's really cool to see the side-by-side comparison of these images. You really get a sense for the dramatic change that can happen in this area in just the span of a single year. In the shopping segment this week, I'd like to recommend Kendra Wilson's book, The Problem with My Garden, Simple Solutions for Outdoor Spaces. Kendra wrote that article that I shared in the Continuing Ed segment called Can This Garden Be Saved? My Plants Prefer to Grow in the Path that was featured in Gardenista. Also in shopping this week are temporary tattoos that smell like herbs. So these are scented temporary tattoos that are made by French artist Vincent Genereau, and each temporary tattoo is scented to match the design. So you can get a tattoo that looks like sage, pink peony, and parsley, and the scent will match the flower or the herb. So I have links to how you can get those. And then Gardenista shared this beautiful handmade herb press from Armin And then finally in the inspiration segment, Feedblicks.com shared the world's largest bamboo labyrinth. Inaugurated in 2015, the Labyrinth de la Mansone is the world's largest bamboo and probably the most complex labyrinth. It takes only a second to enter it, but at least two hours to get out. It's very beautiful. And then Dwell.com shared images of this Tribeca loft. It's the top floor and roof. Of an 1884 warehouse that's been completely redone but the part that gardeners will be most interested in is this sky loft that's been turned into an outdoor living space jammed with plants it's absolutely gorgeous and it fills the previously dark loft with natural daylight it's gorgeous it's a great idea And then finally, The Telegraph shared the best botanical illustration accounts to follow on Instagram. Of course, artists have been using Instagram as a means of sharing their work for years now, and there are a number of botanical illustrators that are on Instagram. So if you appreciate art and enjoy looking at plants, then there's this wonderful group of accounts that you should consider following. And they're all listed in this article. So it's a great resource. Finally, in recipes this week, I shared a lovely spring vegetable panzanella. This was featured in luckypeach.com. It's a great spring recipe because to replace the moisture that typically comes from tomatoes, because tomatoes is often the base for a panzanella, this recipe incorporates a garlicky three-herb pesto. So it says it cozies the hunks of bread, crumbles of Parmesan, and crew of vegetables that have relaxed into buttery sautéed leeks. And it incorporates things like peas, asparagus, and thyme. And then finally, Tin and Thyme, out of the United Kingdom, shared a nettle soup recipe. It said spring back into vigor with this cleansing vegan tonic. So nettle soup. It's from Ten in Time. It's a great website, Tales from a Cornish Kitchen. All right, so that's it for the Garden News Roundup this week. Again, you can find all of the posts that are mentioned in the Garden News Roundup over at the Facebook group, the listener community for the Still Growing Podcast. It's a free resource for you. You don't need to take any notes. You can find links to all of the articles in the group. Just the next time you're in Facebook, type in Still Growing Podcast Group and the group will pop right up. Make sure you're looking for a group and not a business page because there's also a page for the Still Growing Podcast as well. And if you want to make sure that you're getting the exact right group, just head on over to my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number 6 ftmama.com dot com and right up in the menu is a link to the Facebook group and you can click on that and join as well. So you've got two options. Use the search bar in Facebook or head on over to my webpage sixfootmama.com and then just click on the group and request to join. I'd love to meet you in the Still Growing podcast group. All right, today's show is all about sharing your garden this summer. So whether you're hosting a garden party, participating in a garden open day or a garden tour, or you're hosting some type of special event, no matter the occasion, sharing your garden is a lovely, generous, and memorable gift to your guests. But the bigger question for you as the gardener and the gardener host is how can you make the sharing of your garden life-giving to you? Because you cannot enjoy any of these wonderful events if you are overtired, if you're physically exhausted, if you're highly anxious about that event, or if you've just financially blown your budget to make it all happen. So, today I'm going to share with you some of my tips for enjoying the gift of sharing your garden with others. And I've learned some of these the hard way. In all honesty, the first time I hosted a garden tour, I found myself completely wiped out. In fact, I was almost numb during the entire experience. And I vowed I would never do that again, meaning not that I would never share my garden again, but that I would never find myself in that position again. Because my garden is one of the most life-giving places for me on planet Earth. And I didn't want anything to take away from that. So, I'm happy to talk with you about how you can make sure not to force needless perfection on yourself or your garden. And I'm going to share some tips that I found for including extra special little touches that can make a visit to your garden stand out among other gardens or events that your guests will attend this summer. Now, most people begin the process of sharing their garden by putting together a to-do list. And I think that's the very first step to driving yourself absolutely crazy. At least that's been my experience. Because think about it, in the garden, are you ever done with your to-do list? No, you're never done. And even if you have the fantastic luck of finding all of your to-dos completely done, mother nature can hijack that satisfaction in a hot second. So I say, set the to-do list aside and fast forward in your mind's eye to the actual event. Where are the high points? What are the special touches that you want to focus on? Because your to-dos, the tending of your garden, that's gonna happen anyway but it's the special little touches that you can begin focusing on now well before those perennials are even out of the ground. And by staying focused on the day, how you want to feel, what you want to wear, who you'd like to attend, all the things that make the event distinctly yours, that is where I want you to focus your attention, your energy, and your time. In many cases, the areas of your garden that are just not life-giving to you, those challenges are often chronic for a reason. It might be an area you don't have much control over because it connects to a neighboring property. There might be physical or geographical reasons why that area will always be a problem. So I say don't focus your effort on those Herculean gravity issues. Focus instead on your aces, on your wild cards that you currently have in your hand, the things that already make your garden stand out. Because I'm willing to bet that if you've been invited to be part of an open day or a garden tour, or people have said, hey, have us over, we'd love to do a book club in your garden, or we want to get our graduation pictures taken in your garden, there are already wonderful high points and strengths that your garden is bringing to the table. Focus on those. Oftentimes, gardeners will use an event to force them to get a project done. So in other words, a garden tour might be an excellent way to speed up the progress on garden projects that you just never seem to get around to. In contrast, I would tell you to plan the event to celebrate the completion of the project. Now, there's a subtle difference there, but I'll give you an example Last year, when I was in a garden tour, I had timed it so that the completion of my water feature installation was done well in advance of the date that I was supposed to be in the garden tour. And this allowed me to kind of get to know it, to spend some days and weeks just putting my feet in the water, figuring out the plants that I wanted to plant along the edge of the stream, and just spend some time getting to know that major addition to my garden. And because I knew I was going to be in a garden tour, I made sure that that installation would be totally finished almost 60 days before the actual tour took place. So instead of going into the tour completely exhausted, having to experience that part of the garden along with my visitors, I'd gotten to know it. I'd addressed any follow-up issues or concerns that I had with the contractor. I had time to plan and change my plans around the plants that I was going to place around this water feature. And by the time visitors came to my garden, I had integrated this water feature into my eastern garden. So while it was new to them, it was no longer new to me. And even though it was still exciting, I'd given myself a chance To figure it out a little bit. And that was a blessing. In fact, I would tell you that if you're planning a major renovation in your garden, don't have the finish date align with the date of your event because weather delays or unforeseen problems always seem to crop up. And that can add needless tension to what should be a happy, wonderful event of sharing your garden. So give yourself that window of time to take on big projects and even consider delaying some of them until after your event. Because really, when it's all said and done, again, thinking back to that vision of how you want that event, that day of sharing to be, it's really more about the day, the act of sharing your space than it is about the space itself. And it's a common downfall of gardeners. We invite people into our garden and we're apologizing all over ourselves. Oh, this isn't good enough. This isn't quite done. I'll tend to this area. I haven't gotten to it. And we don't need to apologize for these things. You know, there's that saying gardeners dream bigger dreams than emperors. And somehow, if our garden isn't perfect, well, then it's not ready to share with others. And that is just such a fallacy, and it's such a shame. So if you're thinking those things, or if you've felt those things, challenge yourself to set that aside. Yes, keep dreaming the dreams, but don't let that standard of perfection stop you from sharing your garden. And challenge yourself to stop apologizing. When I had my garden tour last year, I had plants that weren't in the ground, and I created an area that I just called my test bed. It was a spot where I could just plant things temporarily. I wasn't sure where I was going to ultimately place them, but just having that label, this is my test bed, gave me the mental license to kind of wrap my arms around what am I doing with these plants and not have to apologize to anyone myself or my visitors about the orphan plants in my garden. In terms of general housekeeping, I've talked to a lot of gardeners that worry about having people come in their home and use the facilities. I would say it's up to each individual gardener whether you want to allow this or not. I made arrangements to have either my kids or one of their friends show someone into the house and allow them to use the restroom if they needed to. And of course, I made sure that the bathroom was stocked up with plenty of toilet paper and soap and that there were fresh hand towels. But that was my personal choice. And I felt as long as someone was escorted into the home that there wouldn't be a problem. And in all of my years of holding a garden tour, I've never run into a problem with that. In fact, most tours, no one even asks to use the facilities. But occasionally, you'll get a mother with a young child or a pregnant lady or maybe an elderly person, and they may ask to use your facilities. I would tell you just to be prepared for that. And again... Keep your mind on the day. And as I think about a day where I'm sharing my garden, of course, a guest in my garden may need to use the restroom. And as long as I have a family member that can escort them into the house, I'm not going to waste another second worrying about that situation because it detracts from my vision of the day. And empirically, I know that I've never had an issue with it. Now, whenever I host an event... I always try and have at least two DIY projects. Not huge, not something that's going to take up a lot of time or money, but just a nice little touch. Something to complement the garden and something that I know up front the guests will probably comment on. So I might make my own bunting or a tablecloth. One year, I had a beautiful ornamental tree that had a canopy of about five feet that died unexpectedly the spring before the tour. And so the DIY that I came up with was to create a ribbon tree. And I went to my local craft store and I bought ribbons in pinks and yellows and greens of all different colors, mostly in the lime family. And I created this beautiful ribbon tree. I cut lengths of ribbon about eight inches long and tied them all over the branches. So the lime green was to echo the leaves that should have been there. And then the yellow and pinks were just happy little punctuations of color as if the tree was in bloom. And that adorable little ribbon tree got so many comments from visitors. And I placed it in a whiskey barrel right by the playset. So when the kids came down the slide, the first thing they saw was this adorable animated ribbon tree. That was a super fun DIY. Another DIY that I like to incorporate is signage. And often I use chalkboard paint. So having your kids work on garden signage or having a neighborhood kid that's great at art work on signage, something that you can set out the day of your event That's something extra special and custom-made. It's a little touch that people appreciate. Don't forget when you are planning your garden event that sometimes you have control over the time. If you're part of an organized event, you're on a garden tour, you may not get to plan the time of your event. But if you have control over that, think about the evening. Most garden parties go way into the evening. So it's a good idea to plan for that. And when you're envisioning your event, think about that. I have a friend that was in a garden tour a few summers ago, and she'd worked so hard to have her garden look beautiful at night. She had professional landscape lighting installed, and she had this beautiful water feature that lit up in the evening. Now, the garden tour we were part of didn't go into the evening. So what she did to mitigate that is that when people came through her garden in the daytime, she had a little invitation that they could take with them and return to her garden the following evening so that they could see the garden in the nighttime. So that was super life-giving to her. That was a way for her to achieve her vision for what she wanted to accomplish by sharing her garden. And had she not done that, had she not taken control and invited people to come back, she would have felt a little empty because to her, seeing her garden at night is an important part of that experience for her. So think about those things as you're thinking about what works best for you. Now, when I think of hosting a garden event I always think of music, because I think any gathering becomes so much richer by incorporating music. Now, my favorite type of music to incorporate into the garden during an open day is Italian music. It's happy. Most people are familiar with it. I can throw a few fun Dean Martin songs in there, and it just sets a very positive tone. Now, if you want to incorporate something that has been perfectly planned for a garden party or an event in your garden, you don't need to do any work at all. You can go to Spotify and download the perfect playlist that was created for Tori Birch's very own garden party. Now, you got to figure that Tori Birch would have had the resources to curate the perfect garden party soundtrack. So I previewed this this week and I think it's fantastic. Again, it's a happy, fun playlist and it incorporates all of these wonderful songs that reference flowers or the garden. So it's songs like Flowers in Your Hair from the Lumineers, Come Rain or Come Shine by Dr. John, Garden Party by Ricky Nelson, Sweeping the Clouds Away by Maurice Chevalier. Anyway, that's a great ready-made garden playlist that requires zero effort from you it's already been vetted and if it's good enough for Tory Burch well then it's good enough for me and you too so go ahead and check that out I'll have that in the Facebook group if you want to take a look at it I really liked it but again that's a great example of something that's just no effort and you already know starting your event you've got the music already done now something I love to incorporate during my open days is burlap. I use it in so many ways, and I always keep a roll of it handy for anything last minute that might come up. So, for instance, last year when I was hosting my garden tour, I had invited some women to come over and help educate the guests that came through my garden. So I had Heidi Highland there from our local greenhouse to talk to people about plants that were in my garden, And I had my friend Pamela from Love That Olive come over and share all different kinds of olive oil and how that could be used with the garden harvest. And when both of those ladies were setting up their tables, I could offer them a roll of burlap to use as a table dressing to just dress things up a little bit. I like to do fun things with the burlap like cut little strips of it to use to line in between my terracotta pots when they're getting stacked. It makes sure that they don't stick together. And plus, I think the little squares of burlap that peek out of the edges of my terracotta pots just add a nice layering effect when they're being used as a container. I love the look of that. And it's a nice little touch that guests in my garden often comment on. And here's another little trick I like to tell people about, and that is the wonderful time-saving advantages of having clear drink dispensers, cake stands, and teacups on hand. They become a very fun way to stage the garden. So, for instance, if you have some smaller plants that you haven't gotten in the ground, it's fun to just group them together and put them on a cake stand. And if they'll fit under the lid for that day, why not make them a showcase and have them under glass? You can do the same thing with a drink dispenser. You can put a larger plant inside a large glass drink dispenser or cookie jar, and it just elevates the status of that plant, which goes from something that's been forgotten or maybe neglected since you haven't had a chance to get it into the ground, and now it's suddenly a centerpiece. And then when it comes to the little teacups, sometimes it's very sweet to fill a little teacup with soil and then pop a little plant inside. It can be a nice little giveaway for people who visit your garden. They get a cup and saucer with maybe a succulent inside or some chives or some mint. Just a sweet little takeaway. So if you're a thrift shopper and you've already got that stuff or you just look for it anyway... It's just a fun, nice little touch that they'll experience at your garden that they maybe wouldn't experience at another garden if they visit one this summer. Another fun touch that you can add if you do have glass drink dispensers is to make some water infusions. So whether you do a cucumber lemon or a lavender lemonade. You can fill those containers with ice and lemon and herbs and offer mason jars as glasses if you want to make it extra special. Just another nice little touch. Something I do during the winter when people come to my Christmas party is I'll have mason jars hanging in my huge locust tree out front. They're staggered among the lower branches, and I'll light the candles to welcome people to our house. It's a wonderful little touch, and everyone knows on the Friday night that that tree is lit. That's the night of our Christmas party. You can do the same thing with your garden party, especially if you have an open day or a garden event that's heading into the evening. You can perch votive candles in glass holders, whether it's mason jars or some type of lantern that you're suspending from tree branches. And there's something so magical about those little flames. It's a wonderful, special touch for your event. Here's another fun tip I came up with this week as I was thinking about some articles I've read recently about new trends. Apparently, centerpieces are going to be very big again. They're going to be tall and so I was thinking of my dining table that's outside and how I could create a tall centerpiece for my garden party this summer. And what I've come up with is this idea to perch a shorter bird bath right in the middle of the table and then to fill the top of the bird bath with a floral arrangement with living plants to do a lot of spillers coming over the edge, and then some very English flowers all across the top. So that's my kind of DIY fun project to add a special touch to my garden party this summer. So go ahead and steal that idea if you like it. I think it's pretty maintenance-free when the bird bath is not on the table. I can just take it and grab it and put it back on the ground. I can scoop all of the things that are in there and pop them into a different container. Or I can just continue to use the birdbath as an elevated planter throughout the season. But it's a unique idea. It's something that people won't see in other gardens, unless you happen to live in Maple Grove. And speaking of floral arrangements, are you a gardener, who just never seems to take cuttings from your own garden. If that's you, one of your DIYs for the event where you're sharing your garden can be to create little mini floral bouquets that are so easy to make. They don't blow your party budget. They're not hard to arrange. You're picking three to five little blossoms. You're tying them with a ribbon, and then you're giving them to your guests. And if you have herbs, don't forget to include your herbs. You can take a little sprig of parsley. You can take a sprig of rosemary. You can take a sprig of thyme and have that be the green backdrop to any bloom that you might be taking from your garden. And it does not need to be big. It's just a sweet little gesture, a welcome and I appreciate you gesture to the guests that stopped by to visit your garden. You know, something to really think about when you're thinking about this wonderful day of sharing your garden are the special spaces that are unique to your property. So whether it's a porch or a deck or a gazebo or an outside patio, whatever it is, think about incorporating seating there that's comfortable. If you have a stone bench, maybe go out and get a cushion for it so that it's a little more comfortable, a little more inviting for your guests. If you're lucky enough to have a porch, stage the porch like it's an outdoor room. Add a rug. Add some lanterns. Add some containers with fresh-cut flowers in them. Mason jars work great for this. They're inexpensive. You can find them at thrift stores anywhere. You know, another fun little touch is if you have a fountain. I have so many fountains on my property It's one of the things my garden is known for. I just have a lot of fountains. I love to rescue them from Craigslist. And one of the things I do on a few of my fountains that have very large basins is I'll put some rose petals or rose cuttings and just let them float in the water of the fountain. It's a nice little touch. And I'm going to give you a secret. One time I was at Goodwill and I stumbled on a little container that had fake rose petals in it and guess what they work just as good as the real thing actually I think they work better because they don't turn brown you can leave them in there for a long time so that's what I did one garden tour I just saw it at Goodwill and I went ahead and bought it and I hung on to it and then the day of my garden tour I just took a handful of them and threw them in the fountain and nobody knew the difference and don't forget about incorporating artificials into some of the things that you have going on at your garden party. I love to tell the story of this wonderful container that I had for succulents. It looked like a stack of books. And of course, it had these sweet little titles that were perfect for the garden. And then the very top of it was a container, just this open Container, this trough container that sat on top of the books. And I'd put some succulents in there, and I had one gaping spot that had died. And so in that spot, I had this huge fake ruby red succulent. And I just took it and popped it right in there about an hour before everybody showed up. And people went crazy. They thought it was the best thing they'd ever seen, they didn't know what it was, and they couldn't believe that it was fake. And of course, I didn't tell most of my guests, but I did tell a few of my close friends about my little trick. It made that container pop. It looked so realistic and it didn't detract at all from the garden. You know, something else that I'd love for you to consider is taking care of yourself in terms of what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink during the time you're sharing your garden. So, That first garden tour I participated in was six hours long. And during that entire time, I was talking nonstop to people who were coming through my garden. And at one point, I had to sit down. I was so weak. I hadn't eaten. I hadn't drank anything. And it's exhausting talking to people nonstop. So the lesson I learned from that was to line up breaks. So whether it's I have a good friend that grabs me by the arm and says, Jen, we need you over here, and then she gives me a glass of lemonade, and I get a little break from the people, that's wonderful. Whether it's when the event is done, guess what? The Domino's delivery guy shows up, and there's our pizzas, and we know right away we've got some hot food that we can eat, whatever it is, however you need to take care of yourself during that day, please build that in so that you can stay hydrated and refreshed. One of my favorite garden parties, I had made my parents' summertime drink, this old-fashioned summertime drink that uses green tea and vodka and lemonade concentrate. And in our family, we just call it good old summertime drink. But it was just such a personal pleasure to me to have that little refreshment that is sentimental to our family and was totally perfect. And it became the signature drink of that particular party. And it's so pretty because it's a slushy drink. So you scoop it out of the ice cream bucket because it's been frozen. And then you pour 7-Up or ginger ale over the top. And it's just refreshing. People loved that. I had a friend that tried a rhubarb spritzer, and that was a wonderful signature drink for her event. So consider serving something that's meaningful to you, that's Something that you know you already love. I don't think it's the time to try something new. I think it's the time to just share what makes you happy. So the garden is part of that, and then the foods you enjoy are part of that. And by going to an old favorite, you automatically take down the stress level for this event. Something you can do to add a nice touch to your table is to harvest some moss. If you have moss growing on your property, harvest the moss, place it on your table, incorporate it into your garland or your place setting or some of your containers. And then after your event, you can restore it to its original place. But it's a nice, authentic touch to a garden party, the incorporation of moss. And Katie Dubow had just posted in our Facebook group that moss is going to be one of the hottest trends for 2018. So you can get a little bit ahead of it by incorporating it into your garden party this year. Now, if you're having a small gathering and you want to serve an appetizer, an easy option is Brie Puff Pastry Bites. They're inexpensive to make, and you can add some herbs on top, whether it's thyme or rosemary for decoration. And then you can just add raspberry jelly or some other kind of preserve. Another tip that I like to incorporate, and this is something that once it was created, we've just used it time and time and time again. And that is, you know those easels that little kids will use to draw on, whether it's a A dry erase board or a chalkboard, whatever it is, if it's a chalkboard or a dry erase board, have somebody that is somewhat artistic write a welcome sign on that board that you can display at the opening of your property or on your driveway or by your front door. And it can simply say, welcome to my garden. And then you can decorate the top of it with some greens from your garden. Just put some flowers or some ferns. You could even do an artificial garland over the top of it. It's a nice little touch, and I drag that little easel out every time I have a party or some type of open day in my garden. Something else to consider would be a very attractive waste bin. You can use a large wicker basket that's lined or something that you get from a big box store, but it's always handy on the day of your event to have an attractive waste bin somewhere on your property so that people know where to go in the event that they have something they need to throw away. Again, these are the little details that are less about the garden and more about the experience that your visitors and guests will have the day they visit your garden. Now, I'm happy to share with you a wonderful little feature I added one year when I knew it was going to be very hot for a garden tour that I was hosting. And that is incorporating a mister into my landscape. So I have two arbors that visitors to my garden have to walk under as they walk in a circle around the garden. So they enter the property on the left side, and then they come up along the water feature on the right side. And that particular year, knowing that it was going to be super hot, I purchased two misters that I secured over the arch of these arbors. And then I set them so that they were very lightly spritzing visitors as they were walking under the arbor. It was very, very light. Some people don't like that, so I had to keep that in mind. But it was a nice little touch. And some people appreciated it so much that they stood under there for a while before they continued on down the path. But it was a nice little touch that wasn't part of other gardens that they were touring that day. And so it got a lot of attention and people really appreciated it. You know, another fun little thing that you can offer guests if you have a smaller group is a fruit kebab. You know, a a kebab that has some mozzarella cheese and some strawberries and some honeydew. They're colorful. It's a great color palette. You have the red of the strawberry, the green of the honeydew, and then the mozzarella. You could even add some sprigs of basil if you want. That's a very nice touch. You know, in terms of lighting, I love cafe lights. I have them on my deck, and then I kind of do what the restaurants do— And I'll extend them from one hardscape on the property to another. So, for instance, my cafe lights go from the deck over to the roof of the swing set and create kind of this aerial pyramid that some of the fancy restaurants do as well. And it's such a great look. And I think that's why I often gravitate toward Italian music whenever I'm hosting any type of open event. And then as luck would have it, that pyramid of cafe lights is covering my back patio. And that's where my kitchen garden is. So it creates a wonderful canopy of lights over one of the most popular parts of my garden. I'll tell you one thing I stumbled on, courtesy of my neighbor one year when I was hosting a garden day, and that is that they had fired up the grill at the same time my garden party was starting. So we had this wonderful, inviting smell of barbecue with the grill going, and it just added a wonderful aroma to the garden party. So consider that. Maybe you want to fire up the grill, roast some vegetables, make some hot dogs for the kids. It's an aroma that people love. Last year at my garden party, I had my son build a fire in the fire pit, and we had the fire pit going. And again, it's just that smell of having a fire pit going that's so inviting to people. And it's something to think about. Don't just have your fire pit there and not going during your garden party or your garden tour. Fire it up. Let people see and experience what it's like to have it going. And even in the light of day, they'll sit down by a fire and just soak it in. Something easy and simple that you can serve your guests are finger sandwiches. You can do the traditional cucumber sandwich that has cucumber and cheddar cheese and tomato. You could offer a ham and garlic jam sandwich or a turkey and garlic jam sandwich. You could even do little peanut butter sandwiches as long as you have guests that don't have allergies that are coming over. And another thing to consider is you and what you're going to wear during the day. So on my last couple of garden tours, the people on the garden tour get a t-shirt that they can wear, (laughs) but I'm not much of a t-shirt girl. So I passed that baby on to my kids, and then I wore what was going to make me feel good. And don't put yourself last. Make sure on the day of your event that you get up, you put yourself first, you get a shower, you get your hair done. Whatever it is, you take care of you first, and then the garden and the party second. Because if you feel good about how you look and you're comfortable with what you're wearing, that's already one win in the books for you. And of course, if you're planning some type of open garden day, have a contingency plan in place first. So what I've started doing is I'll say, the garden party is on this day. In the event of bad weather, this is our rain day. This is the next day it will be open. And then on that final day, I'll have a tent or canopy set up in the event that there's bad weather on that day. But it gives me a little bit of control over the uncontrollable, the weather. So plan for that contingency. The other thing to do is maximize the effort that you've spent putting this together So I love to stack events, kind of like planes on a jetway. If I'm having an open garden day, you can probably bet within the next week I will have another event because I'm already set to go. That makes that week following my open garden day or a garden tour or a garden party the perfect time to volunteer to host the book club or the perfect time to have the church group over. You've already done the work. You might as well maximize the benefits. And along those lines, you don't even have to fuss over food unless you want to. If you live in a city with Whole Foods or a grocery store that's got a fantastic deli, you don't even have to cook unless you want to. So you can opt for easy appetizers or a dinner that evening for not a lot of money. And one of the most simple, fun things to serve at a garden party or some type of open garden day are little cupcakes with a flower on top. So I'm talking about those tiny little mini cupcakes, not the big ones, the little ones. Everyone can get something sweet, just that nice little touch one more time from your garden event. I have a friend I know that does a garden tour every year. And one of the last things that she does to cover up a ton of sin is to put down a layer of fresh wood chips on all of her paths. And just having that nice, brand new, clean path with that clean edge helps elevate the garden, gives it a sense of order and control, which makes the gardener feel pretty good. So consider something like that. I, of course, always have a couple of bags of mulch handy, whether it's cocoa bean mulch or just compost. And if I've got a spot in my garden that's just not doing well, you can always cover it with some mulch. It's a quick little trick that a lot of people incorporate. Something you can do to give the kids something to do is to set up the croquet set. If you're on a garden tour, this is nice because people will linger a little bit longer and hey it's an excuse to get that out it probably only comes out once every couple of years anyway so the croquet set gets a little action another fun thing you can do with the kids is strategically place a dozen fairies around your garden and have them go on a scavenger hunt for the fairies that's something fun you can do with kids There was an enchanting post from Think Make Share that talked about this fairy garden garden party that they'd hosted. It's absolutely delightful. I'm going to share it on the podcast next week. But it uses entirely homemade artifacts for their little fairy garden. It's so cute. You know, again, as the host, I think it's important to think about the comfort of your guests. So to make things super inviting, maybe more inviting than they would be normally So to give you an example of that, I have a hammock that we use in the back. But of course, when it rains, we take the hammock down when we're not using it. But on the day of the garden party, I'll put the hammock out. I'll even go and get the hammock pillow. I'll grab some blankets. I'll put some pillows out on all of the benches. There'll be cushions. I usually get my seating cushions from Amazon. And I'll put blankets and pillows and cushions out in spots where Probably most of the time there isn't one. And again, it just makes the garden extra inviting to your guests. So again, just thinking about being that host, about that whole experience for your guests, focusing less on the garden on the day of the party and more about the event that you're hosting, more about the day that you're sharing your garden with the people that are coming. And in keeping with that, make sure to shut your sprinkler system off at least 24 hours before your event. I always make sure that my walkways are dry. So I give everything at least a day and a half rest from irrigation so that things aren't soggy for my guests when they're walking through. So I'll deep soak the entire landscape maybe two days before the event and then stop the watering. And again, I'm doing all of that with my guests in mind. Something else that can be wonderful to decorate with that a lot of times gardeners have on hand are bird cages. So if you have bird cages, you can pop any type of container inside of there. Sometimes I'll put some twine inside and then have the twine coming out the bird cage in between the bars of the cage. That's super cute. You can use it as a twine holder, that kind of a thing. That's a nice little addition to your party, to your event. You know, something else to think about when you're thinking about making it an experience that's really neat for your guests is to distribute the stations pretty evenly around your property. So set up a little bar with your lemonade stand in the back on your deck or in the front on your porch. Don't have all of your wonderful little stops all clumped together. Space them out a little bit. I'll have a guest book next to a welcome sign And then as they make their way through the mister and toward the back, I'll have a wheelbarrow that's planted and that also holds a basket of seeds that guests can take. And then they'll amble on a little bit more and there'll be a buffet that's set out that'll have infused waters and some finger sandwiches. And then they'll continue on their way and there might be a friend of mine there talking about herbs as they're standing in the kitchen garden and so on and so forth. So the point here is not to cluster all of the good stuff that you're offering in your space together, but to space it out, to give the guests time to discover and experience those things one at a time instead of being bombarded with it all at once. You know, something you can do now before your garden has really gotten going, is to sit down and write a description of your garden if you haven't had a chance to do that. You can write a 10-sentence description of your garden, welcoming guests, pointing out highlights, talking about some of the plant specimens, things that are special to you. Now is a great time to do that instead of trying to get that done in the last weeks leading up to your open event or your tour. And it's great to have something like that on hand in case your property is ever featured in a magazine or featured in some type of citywide event. And while you're at it, a few shows back, I had a show where I was talking about an easy way to create a map of your garden. And that is simply to use Google Earth. Take a screenshot of your property using the image that you get from Google Earth and then to pull it up in an app that converts it into a drawing. And my favorite app for that is the free one that's called My Sketch. And so I can offer people a map of my property that's 100% accurate, but I didn't even have to draw it. I just took a picture of my property, a screenshot from my iPad using Google Earth, and then importing that picture into my sketch. It's a brilliant solution. All right, we're in the home stretch here, and I'm going to share my final ideas from this post that I wrote back in 2013 after I had hosted a citywide garden tour And these are just things that I shared at the time when it was fresh in my mind. And I thought I'd share them for the very tail end here to help you out. And of course, you know that last week's episode was all about finding kids to help you in the garden. And as you're preparing for your garden tour, I'd really encourage you to get some help so that it's not all on your shoulders and so that you don't overwork yourself. So go ahead and check that episode out. It's episode 566. But in the meantime, here were my five ideas and tips for a better garden tour as I wrote about it back in 2013. The first tip was to know that your guests, that your visitors will usually arrive early. There will always be a handful that do. So whatever time you've said that your garden party will start or your open garden day or your garden tour will start. Just plan that people will arrive an hour early. And of course, you want to be gracious. You would never want to turn someone away or make them wait. If they come up to your property, even if it's not technically open, of course, I'm going to welcome them onto my property. So don't turn people away. You want every experience to be positive. Be gracious, be ready, and know that that's going to happen. Have some of your friends come over and help you be greeters, just like you would have family members help you out at a wedding reception. To me, this is no different. So oftentimes, I'll have my garden friends come on over. We'll make a day of this, and they'll help greet people and guide them through the garden. Another fun thing you can do if this is a city tour or some type of special tour that you're a part of and you want to get some publicity for it is you can invite local media to preview your garden. You can have local bloggers write blog posts about the workshop presenters that are at your garden or the gardens that are going to be featured on the tour. You can advertise on nursery websites and flyers, all of those things to help drive people To your tour. In my blog post, I showed the back of my minivan that day because I had written in chalkboard paint the fact that we were having this garden tour and just used my van as a way to advertise it. So if you're someone who is organizing a Citywide tour or some type of community event, an open day, that kind of a thing, consider reaching out to your local nurseries, landscapers, and the community. Because we could have never offered our community the quality experience that we had with our citywide garden tour without the support of our local nurseries and landscapers. So we had a local nursery provide the annuals and other plant material for our parade float. We were in the local parade because the tour is combined with our Maple Grove days and then they generously allowed us to give the plants and containers away to people along the parade route and then we had little business cards that mentioned the garden tour so that people would want to go to the garden tour and I can't tell you we had some people were so grumpy looking along the parade route. And those were the exact people that I would grab a plant and then go hand them this container of annuals. And they were absolutely thrilled. Talk about turning that frown upside down. So it was great publicity for the tour. It was great publicity for for the landscaper and the nursery that provided the plants. In fact, the containers had stickers on them that said plants provided by Malmberg's Garden Center and Greenhouse. So it was great publicity for them. And then one of the landscapers secured this beautiful new trailer for us to use in the parade. And he allowed us to tag onto his entry in the parade. So it was a lot of goodwill. And I think that he actually got a discount for doing that as a volunteer thing. So that was great. The other thing we did is we worked with some of the nurseries in town to help donate money so that we could make some garden markers and placards that designated the garden as a participant in the tour. So it was something nice that the homeowner could keep long after the tour was over. Kind of a nice memento. So those are some fun little things as well. I would just say, make sure that if you have a landscaper or a garden center that's coming to support your garden tour or your open day or your event in some way, encourage them to bring plenty of plant material and resources. So when I was organizing this citywide event, I would always work with the nurseries to help designate a signature plant for our open day, for our garden tour. And we had all of the nurseries come to those gardens and then sell that plant. And then that plant was featured prominently somewhere on the property of each homeowner. So it was a way for the garden centers to move plant material, but also, you know, focus on things. So we did a couple of pollinator plants one year. We did a special hosta called Rainforest Sunrise. That was one of our offerings one year. And the thing that I wanted to mention to you is... It's incredible how many people come to garden tours and open days with money in their pocket that they want to spend. And so you've got gardeners coming to these events. They're all fired up. They want to go out and buy plants after seeing all of these beautiful gardens. And so, if you have plant material available for sale, they'll more than likely want to buy it. It's just you've just activated that whole (laughs) plant buying thing. So, make sure that you do that. You know, the first time we did it, I think one of the nurseries brought, I want to say about 30 plants, they were gone within an hour and a half. So the next year we did over 150 plants of whatever the signature plant was, and they were completely sold out within about two and a half hours. So our garden tours, our open days are usually somewhere between four and six hours. So I would just say bring plenty of plant material so that when people come through, they have something to purchase if you want to incorporate that type of event into your open day or garden tour. And then of course we have always incorporated, bringing in experts, bringing resources to our garden tour and our open garden days. So if you have a local author, if you have someone who's a landscaper who has an interesting product that you think would be great to feature, then by all means, have them bring some type of tent canopy set up somewhere on the property, set up on your driveway. That's how I've always done it. And people are so appreciative because They're in that mindset again. They are there to learn and take in this garden experience and why not add resources if you have them so whether it's a local author or a nursery or a landscape center I had a stone group come in and talk about using natural stone I've had a nursery come in and talk about interesting products like mulch grip which is a product that you can spray on mulch or little pebbles and it kind of glues them down so that they don't get all over your walkway it's a great product and so people just went crazy for that. And again, they did not anticipate the fact that people wanted to buy right then and there. So encourage whoever you're working with to bring plenty of product. And then don't forget if you're having some type of event in your garden that you get out there and you go see some open days, some garden events, whatever's happening in your community, because I guarantee you your best ideas will come from other gardeners, from other homeowners that are generously opening up their home and sharing it in your community. Well, that's it. I hope I've inspired you to consider some of these great tips for making your garden event extra special this summer. And I just want to leave you with three little words to keep in mind as you're planning this very special gift for people, the sharing of your garden, and that is let it go. Don't worry so much about what your garden looks like. Don't even think about whether or not your backyard is suitable or your garden is up to snuff. Just make your event that day as beautiful and as welcoming and as lovely as possible. The best thing anyone can do to create a wonderful garden experience for visitors is to be a confident host. And if you're confident in your surroundings, it doesn't matter if you have a test bed. It doesn't matter if your compost pile doesn't look great. It doesn't matter if you've forgotten to deadhead or you have holes in some of your leaves because it's going to feel wonderful and exciting and life-giving to the people who come to your event. So let it go. Focus more on the day and then all the days leading up to that event Yes, work in your garden, but don't work yourself ragged. Pick a couple fun DIYs, focus on the extra special touches you want to have in place the day people come to your garden and let the rest go. So if the phone has already rung or it's ringing right now and you're asked to invite the public to see your garden, don't get too worried about it. There's a reason you were asked to participate. I often hear from people who finally get a chance to see my garden the few times during the year when I open it up, and they'll say, we walk past your house all the time, and we've been dying to see what's on the other side of the fence. And here's a little secret. Any experienced gardener who's opened up their home to the public will tell you, and that is... Oftentimes, it's the things that you minimize, it's the things that you completely overlook and don't consider special anymore, that visitors to your garden are going to ooh and ah over. And you'll be sitting there thinking, that little thing, but that's exactly what will draw people's attention. And the thing that you have spent hours and hours trying to get right can often go overlooked. So let it go. Enjoy the day. Enjoy seeing your garden through the eyes of your visitors and just simply have a wonderful time. Well, that's it for the show today. I want to thank all of you who are opening up your gardens, being so generous with your labor of love, with your art, with your passion. People are so considerate. And appreciative of that and I think it's absolutely wonderful. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions, David Myers, Ayn Kadina, and David Gregerson. And I also want to thank the lovely listeners that make up my listener advisory board. They're in the Facebook group for the show and they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine, Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport, she's the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan, Deb Gibson, and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was featured in episode 553, the episode where we talk all about incorporating native plants into your landscape. Just a reminder, I'll have all the generous information that I shared on the show today in the show notes for this episode. Just head on over to my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A dot com. Just click on podcast and this episode will pop right up. And while you're there, if you're interested in joining the Facebook group, just click on Facebook group and it'll take you right to the Facebook group and then just click to join. And if you don't get a chance to do that the next time you're in Facebook, just search for Still Growing Podcast Group and our group will pop right up. I hope this episode has inspired you to share your garden with others. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebeling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.